0: Turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. Because that's what we're going to be focused on today as we kick off this series. Psalm 61. And if you are willing and able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as I read aloud? Psalm 61. This is what the word of God says. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O oh God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day and day. After day. Father in heaven, we come before you uh, with grateful hearts to be able to hear from you this day. Lord, now we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and preaching of your word. And we ask especially your blessing on this new sermon series that we're about to begin. And uh, Lord willing, should you, Terry, spend uh, the entire summer on as we look to Psalms, as we look to understand the spiritual songs that are within our Bibles today. Uh, and in many weeks to come. Be with us, Lord. Tune our hearts to sing your praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are planning on spending the next several weeks in the Psalms, and this is a a first for us at Grace Fellowship Church. I don't think we've ever spent this much time focused on this particular portion of Of Scripture. So I'm looking forward to what the Lord does among us in the coming weeks. In the original Hebrew, uh, the book is literally called Book of Praises. This was literally the song book of Israel inspired by God to be sung to him. So it's there's 150 Psalms you'll find throughout your Bible. And this was the book of songs that the Israelites would use as they gathered together to worship both privately and corporately to sing songs to God. You might be familiar with the name Don Whitney. He's a professor of spiritual disciplines, uh, personal spiritual disciplines and spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also the author of many uh, books that are pretty popular, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Um, he has a, his most recent book is called Praying the Bible. It is excellent. And in that book, he has this to say about the Psalms. It's as if God said to his people, I want you to praise me, but you don't know how to praise me. I want you to praise me not because I'm an egomaniac, but because you will praise that which you prize the most. And there is nothing of greater worth to you than I. There is nothing more praiseworthy than I. And it is a blessing for you to know that. It will lead to your eternal joy if you praise me above all others and above all else and to your eternal misery if you do not. But there's a problem. You don't know how to praise me at least not in a way that's fully true and pleasing to me. In fact, you know nothing about me unless I reveal it to you, for I am invisible to you. Therefore, since I want you to praise me, and it is good for you to praise me, but since you don't know how to praise me, here are the words I want you to use. And he gives us the Psalms. The Psalms are unique of all the books in the scriptures because they are given to us so that we could give them back to God. There's not any other book that is expressly given to us for that reason. God gave us the Psalms so that we can give them back to God, so that we can look at these words and praise them and sing them back to our gracious heavenly father. But here's the thing. While God desires to be praised and is certainly worthy of our praise and deserves to be praised rightly and according to his word, you need to know this. Not every psalm is a psalm of praise. God gave us the psalms that we might give them back to him, but not every psalm within the book of psalms is a psalm of praise. Um, Some are imprecatory psalms. They invoke judgment or calamity on people. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll look at Psalm 3, part of which praises God for breaking the teeth of the wicked. It's kind of awesome. Not every psalm is a psalm of praise. Uh, Some are wisdom psalms. Other are psalms for special occasions. There's like specific psalms for people walking to the temple in Jerusalem. There's specific psalms for weddings. And then there's specific psalms for royal weddings and stuff like that. Some are royal psalms. Long live the king. Some are psalms of lament where it just basically says it kind of stinks to be me right about now. And the more time you spend in the psalms, the more you'll find it uncanny how what you're reading expresses something that is looking for expression in your heart. Now, I will encourage you during this season when we are focusing on the Psalms to perhaps ramp up your reading of the Psalms. I don't know if you're in the habit of reading the Psalms each and every day as part of your uh, time with the Lord, but I would encourage you to find a way to read the Psalms even more as we spend this time uh, in the Word, in this specific section of the Word. I think you're going to find it to be fairly amazing as to how you can find that what you're reading uh, particularly if you read several psalms at once from different parts of the psalms, how what you're reading expresses something that is looking for expression in your heart. How you'll read something that, and then look and say, I don't think I would have been able to say it better myself. And here's the thing. There's 150 psalms. 53 of them, 35%, are psalms of lament. 35% of the psalms are psalms of lament. That's what God has given to us. God has given us the psalms so we might give them back to God. And there's a huge chunk of them that are psalms of lament. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know why God does what he does. I wondered at some point, and this is kind of funny and kind of thought-provoking, if 35% of the psalms indicates that roughly, give or take, 35% of my life will be somewhat lamentable, that I will be spending 35% of my days in some sort of just sadness? Does God look down from heaven and see the world in which we live, see the trials that we face and say, you're going to need a chunk of these to know how to talk to me when these things happen. You're going to need a chunk of these to know how to look to me, to know how to cry out to me, so that when you lament, you don't just lament on your own. No doubt we'll lament, right? No doubt we'll be sad at times in our lives. But what we tend to do is lament, but not lament to God. We tend to lament in times of our own self-pity. If we're not taking these lamentations that we have, these sadnesses that we have, and turning them towards God, we just think, woe is me. But we don't think, like Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone, as he stood before the presence of a holy and righteous God. God gave us the psalms so that we can give them back to God. So these are the psalms. It's not just psalms that we're going to spend time in over the summer, but it's specifically psalms of lament. These are the ones we're going to be focused on together as we spend time in this series. Now, the text we read earlier today is Psalm 61. It's not always easy from the text to decipher what was going on in the psalmist's life at the time the psalm was penned. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can connect the dots based on approximate dating. and but But it's hard to know for sure. This is one of those psalms that's hard to know for sure. We don't know exactly what was going on in David's life. But if we were to connect the dots as best as we can... Uh, there's reason to believe it may have been written in connection with some of the events that we read about in Second Samuel, uh, specifically chapters 15 and following, 15 through 18, when we read about uh, one of Dan, uh, when we read about David's son Absalom. Now, Absalom was a son of David uh, who conspired against his father, and in so doing, drove people out of the favor of the king, which was David, and into Absalom's favor. So here you have Absalom saying things among the people of God, like, well, you know, if I were king, everybody would have a just hearing. If I were king, if I was in his position, this would happen. If I was, this. And then eventually what ends up happening is through this conspiracy, Absalom conspires and has the people come and favor him and not favor his father. And we see that happen over time. But it's only temporary. They eventually return to David. And in fact, when they return to David, they're not so thrilled with Absalom because they realize what Absalom's done. Now, David then sends people. This is like a real... You can spend time reading this if you want. 2 Samuel 15 and following. But this is a real fast helicopter view of exactly what happens in that, in that time period. Then David sends people into battle. And he tells the people who are leading the battle, specifically one of which is Joab. Hey, Listen. Go easy on Absalom. Be gentle with Absalom because David, in his wisdom, knew what had happened, that the people had left him and that the people that had come back to him and that the people now see what Absalom did and they're not too thrilled with Absalom. That's what happened. Now they see Absalom for who he is and they don't like him. They see him as a conspirator and perhaps as an enemy even of the king. So David, in his wisdom, as he sends people out to battle, says, Listen, easy on the Absalom. Easy on Absalom when you find him, David stays behind the battle ensues David's army wins, and then Absalom only in the Bible Absalom is riding a donkey or a mule or something, and he comes across a large I think it 's an oak tree, and his head don 't ask me how it 's in the Bible, his head gets stuck in this tree whereby he is then hanging from the tree, not not like strangly hanging, but he is suspended. From the tree, the Bible says between heaven and earth, and his faithful, his faithful animal walks on. So he is stuck in this tree, and the animal walks on, and he's hanging there. Somebody reports this to Joab, and Joab said, man, why don't you just take him out when you had the chance? I would have paid you to do that. I would have given you cash money. I would have given you silver to do that if you would just take him out when you got the chance, that guy. And the guy's like, well, I'm not going to touch the king's son. Plus, you remember what David said. So even for any amount of silver, I wouldn't do that. Any, any payment, I wouldn't kill him. And Job's like, heck with you. He's had it with him. He doesn't care what David said. He doesn't care what this guy says. He takes three javelins. And as Absalom is hanging from this tree, three javelins, and he thrusts them into the heart of Absalom. Then others come, take Absalom down, and do him in and finish him, and bury him under a pile of rocks, some of which say this is kind of indicative that they wanted it to look like a criminal had just been killed, just like as if he was stoned. They bury him under this pile of rocks, and now he is dead. The message gets to David. We have good news and we have bad news. The good news is we won the battle. David says, what about Absalom? And David learns at that time that he's dead and he's overwhelmed with grief. Why? Because parents shouldn't have to bury their kids. Parents shouldn't have to grieve the loss of their kids. That's unbelievably backwards. Backwards. And certainly among the hardest funerals to attend or memorial services to preach is when a parent has to bury their child. The question is today, if this is an event that inspired David to write Psalm 61, the question isn't, have you ever been in David's shoes? Because the answer is no. Have you ever been a king and you had your son conspire? Of course the answer is no. The question isn't have you ever been in the details of that situation? The question is this Have you ever been just unbelievably overwhelmed? Overwhelmed with life circumstances, overwhelmed with the things that have befallen you. Have you ever been overwhelmed? See, here's the thing with the Psalms context always matters. It's always good to understand things in context. And if this was a a lesson on hermeneutics, we could talk about how to best understand the context of Psalm 61. But when you're reading through the Psalms, context kind of doesn't matter. And here's why. Because if I stand before you today and say, let's pray, and I pray out to the Lord and I say, Lord, we need wisdom. And then you think, yes, yes, we do. I'm thinking we need wisdom because I need wisdom in making a decision for Grace Fellowship Church. And you're thinking you need wisdom because you're considering a job change. And you're thinking you need wisdom because you need to understand what to do with finances. And you need wisdom because you're not sure what to do when it comes to the child's education. You need wisdom because you don't understand how to handle the situation at work. You need wisdom because you don't understand how to handle a situation in your home. You need wisdom because you're about to become a parent. You need wisdom because you don't know how to deal with a lost person who's coming to visit next week. We all need wisdom. Does the context matter in which I said? But when I say, Lord, we need wisdom, and then you say, yes, we do. You identify with that need for wisdom, but you don't need wisdom for the exact same thing that I need wisdom for. Does does that make sense? That's why context matters, but it kind of doesn't when it comes to the Psalms. We don't need to understand here when we're reading Psalm 61 exactly what did David, what was David lamenting? Why was he upset? Why was he overwhelmed? Because I'm only going to be able to identify this if I can be in the exact same situation as David. That's not how the Psalms roll. That's not how it works. We look at David and we see, wow, He is overwhelmed. And the question is, can we ever hear where his circumstances are not mentioned in Psalm 61, but can we ever pray this prayer? Can we identify with the feeling that David has of being just absolutely overwhelmed with life's circumstances as waves of trouble just seem to just wash over you only to make way for another wave of trouble and then another wave of trial and another wave and another one so much so that your head is underwater but 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 more than that your heart is submerged in the circumstances and trouble have you ever been overwhelmed like that god gave us the psalms to give them back to god Therefore, regardless of the fact that you and I have never been a king in Israel and never sent people into battle and never had one of our sons caught in a tree or riding an animal only to have our son murdered by the men who sent him into battle. We have this in common with David. We know what it's like to be overwhelmed. You probably know what it's like to be overwhelmed. You probably know what it's like to have the wind knocked out of you by any number of circumstances. And therefore, Psalm 61 is most definitely for you and for me. And so what I want to call to our attention today is first this. We need to reject the lie that we're too overwhelmed to cry out to God. We need to reject the lie that we're too overwhelmed to cry out to God. In Psalm 61 verses 1 and 2, look at that. David says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you and my heart is faint. And there's that word faint in the Hebrew. That's, that's, that's the word that's, that's overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Uh, literally, it, could, it, it means just to, to, to feel like you're completely surrounded on all sides. Or, or the, the picture that it paints is that you're far away and completely surrounded uh, in trouble. Or another picture that it could possibly be understood is that you are just enveloped and you're rolling over. It's as if you're, you have all of these troubles on you and you are just D-O-N-E done and you're just ready to just roll over as you become enveloped, surrounded, completely undone by all the circumstances that are in your life at that time. David says, from the end of the earth, I call to you. Poetic language, indicating he's far from what's normal and he's close to the, to, to, to the, to the edge. He's, he's at the end, he's at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do next and it is there that he calls to God. Far from peace, far from safety. He says, from the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Have you ever felt like that? Just wanting to roll over, just wanting to just be done because of what's happening in life. The picture I get is having been... It's as if one's been washed out to sea. And I don't know if that's just a picture I'm getting because we recently went to the beach. So I have the beach on my mind. But uh, th- th- that, that's the picture I get. Is being far out from the shore, far away from safety, all the way out in a vast ocean. That's way too deep for you to navigate. Way too deep for you to handle. And the waves are coming, and they're coming, and and just when you think one is done, and it may not be a huge tempest, a huge storm, but they just keep coming, and you're far away from safety. That's what it's like to be overwhelmed. Ever since the mid-70s, a certain thriller movie has changed the way we viewed going to the beach forever. And now, all of a sudden, we have fears that perhaps always existed before, but specifically exist now. Because everyone's afraid of being attacked by a what? A shark, right. Okay, and the movie I'm referring to is, of course, the movie? That's right. Do you know how many people in the United States are killed by sharks every year? One or less. One or less. Of all the lifeguard rescues that happen each and every year, do you know what 80 to 85% of them are caused by? you know what they're rescuing people from? Not sharks. Who said riptide? That's right. Riptides. 80 to 85% of the rescues that take place from the ocean on either coast in the United States or because of rip currents, rip tides. Now, I'll give you my definition of what it is and just try to explain it to you as I've understood them. Basically, as you see the waves rolling in, there is a lane, if you will, a lane of water ...that even though the waves are rolling in, this one current is sucking water away from the shore. So there's waves rolling in, and you can actually spot it. You can see the waves rolling towards the shore, and then all of a sudden there seems to be this little break... ...where even though waves are curling over here, there's waves curling over here. You notice they don't really curl over there. Slight different discoloration in the water. And what's happening there is there's a current that's not going to suck you under the water... ...but it will pull you out, and will pull you out pretty fast usually on average, 100 to 200 yards. Okay. And what happens is if you're caught in this rip current, you're going to find yourself being like, yeah, just, just literally pushed out to sea. And there's really nothing you can do about it. You can't fight against this current so long as you are in it. And so we talk sometimes before we're in the rip current, in the event that we're in the rip current, what do you do if you're in that rip current? How do you, how do you handle it? Because the most, what you need to do is, is, is really counterintuitive. You need to ride it out and then swim parallel to the shore. Because if you try to swim in the rip current, what's going to happen? It's, it's like you're on a treadmill and you're just going to exhaust yourself. And that's what happens when people need to be rescued from rip currents. They just keep swimming and swimming and swimming, but they're swimming against a current. When in reality, do you know what they could do? Step out of the current, swim out of the current, and then swim back. Because the rip current is not in the whole ocean, it's just that one lane. So if you just swim out of that on either side, then you can ride the waves back in and you'll be back, you have to be a good swimmer either way, but you'll be back to safety before long. But if you stay in that rip current, if you stay in that lane, swim as you may, kick as much as you want, you're never going to get back and you're going to become exhausted and fatigued before long. And you're going to need to be rescued. And oftentimes people are not rescued. 80 to 85% of the beach rescues that take place each and every year are because of riptides. And that's the picture that I get. As, as we feel far from God, we feel far from safety. David feels far from that which he knows. Far from that which, which, which grounds him. And what is he going to do? How is he going to handle this? Well, we need to reject the lie that we're too overwhelmed or too weighed down to cry out to God. It's hard to cry out to God when you're overwhelmed, isn't it? It, it, it shouldn't be, but sometimes it can be a, a, a bit more difficult. You feel like there's different things that need to be done. You, you, I, there's, there's lies that come into our minds that tell us that, 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 that we're too far away to cry out. We have to handle this right now, and he just seems so distant. But here's the truth, if I could just say something really elementary but worth reminding us of. God is never further or closer to us. He just is. We're never literally far from God. We're never literally close to God. God is always there, and God is spirit, and he is in us at all times. We may feel far from him, but if we give into the lie that because of life's circumstances, we can't cry out to God, friends, we are basically refusing to do the one thing that could save us. We're refusing to step out of that rip current and do the one thing that could save us and get us safely back to shore. Now, I'm not saying this by way of admonition or rebuke. I'm not saying shame on you. though. I'm just saying friends, family, church, we need to remember that we need to step out of that for a minute and into reality and remember that God can hear us. God can help. God is good and God is here. And he's never far. He's never far. We may feel far from God, but David felt as if he were at the end of his rope and at the end of the earth, but God is even there. We need to reject this idea that we're too overwhelmed to cry out to God. As I was thinking about this this week, as I prepared, I was thinking, what lies am I buying into when I refuse to talk to God about a certain thing that's overwhelmed me? What lies am I buying into when I feel overwhelmed by circumstances? Maybe we think we need to get busy fixing something. You know, I uh, changed the brakes on my car uh, last weekend. You're not applauding. Thank you. Um, And it didn't take me all weekend. It was very exciting. I've done this before, and it was like a it was like a a a project for a day. This took me I don't know, probably like an hour and a half. It was pretty cool, and I still know that there are like people who do it in like 20 minutes. But I, this is kind of a big deal for me, okay? I jacked up the car without, without jacking up the car, if you know what I'm saying. So, so, so I, 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 I put the car up and I took the wheels off and I saw worn down brake pads and I put on new brake pads and put the wheel back on and all four wheels have stayed on for at least a week now. I'm pretty excited about that. That's how I, I like to be able to see and measure progress. Brakes are squeaking, not responding as they should. Put car up on jack take off wheel, see worn down pads, take off worn down pads, put on new brake pads, put wheel back on car, brakes work. Easy, measurable progress. This was worth my time. Does that make sense? This was worth my time. Like I said, it's it's just easy for me to see. Prayer doesn't work that way. Prayer in times of lament don't work that way. I don't, Oh, I don't find myself overwhelmed by a circumstance. Go to the Lord in prayer, and all of a sudden the circumstance is gone. Old break pads, new break pads. Prayer doesn't work that way. It doesn't feel productive. It doesn't feel or it can't be measurably proven to be worthwhile. Well, that changed everything. That's not how prayer works. And sometimes one of the lies that I can buy into is I need to fix this. I need to get busy fixing this. Maybe we think we need to plan. Maybe in our, this is another one that came to my mind as I was thinking about this. Maybe in our guilt and condemnation, we think we did something to get into this mess so we deserve it. and We keep our mouth shut and take it on the chin. Maybe we think God has already blessed us with a mind and so we should use it to get ourselves out of this mess. I'm going to talk to God about that. What with all that's going on in this world, I'm going to talk to God about this trouble that's overwhelming me. I don't know what we think, but friends, we need to reject that there's ever a situation in which we can't or won't cry out to God. When we feel like we can't cry out to God, that's when we should say, God, I feel like I can't cry out to you. It's, it's that simple. It's by saying, uh, you know, when we feel like we can't pray, that's when we look to God and we say, Lord, I feel like I can't pray. And then in so doing, you have just what? Prayed, right? We, we look to God and we talk to him about how we can't talk to him. And that's literally in Psalm 61, he, David starts out by saying, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. He's not trying to pray through some ritualistic prayer. He's just laying it all on the line and saying, I need an audience in heaven. I need you to hear my prayer. I'm at my wits end. I feel like I'm at the end of the earth. I need your help. Desperation doesn't deaden our prayer life. It drives our prayer life. And if we find within us the fact that desperation does deaden it, friends, we need to do something and do something fast. Because desperation should drive us to our knees, not deaden our prayer life. It's very hard to cry out to God when we're overwhelmed. But Spurgeon rightly says there is an end to a man when he makes an end to prayer. James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Psalm 102, verses 1 and following. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day that I call. Look at verse 2 in Psalm 61 and verse 2. David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He acknowledges that he's far from safety. He acknowledges that he needs to be brought to solid ground, but he also acknowledges that this rock is what? Really high. Lead me to the rock that is higher. Draw me in. And he's saying, I can't, once you draw me to it, I can't even get to it. I need you to lift me and put me on it. I need you to do everything, start to finish. And friends, if you're a Christian in here, you know what it's like to be led and drawn by God. No man comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus says, John 6 and verse 44. You know what it's like to have been drawn by God. God didn't just show you a Savior. He drew you to the Savior. Here, David is saying, I I need to be drawn. I need to be led to this rock that is higher than I, and I can't reach it. I can't reach help. I can't get to it. Even if I could, I couldn't scale it. I can't climb it. Lead me to this rock. Take me there. Help me. What about you? As you look back on times in your life, and you may be in a time right now, a time of desperation. Does desperation tend to deaden your prayer life? Or does it drive you to cry out to God? Does desperation tend to deaden your prayer life? Or does it drive you to cry out to God? And why do you think that is? In your outline, you'll see I put under this point number one, one of the questions that I want you to reflect on your own. What lies do you believe that perhaps feed the temptation to pray less instead of more during times of desperation? And you'll see in there, I said, be be specific. Don't just say, well, I believe the lie that praying is not what I need to do. I believe that I need to fix the thing because of the things with the things. If you're going to take the time to consider that question, I want to encourage you to be as specific as possible. I think I need to think more about my issue than pray to God because if I think more, then I might come up with a solution, which means I really believe that I have the answer. I just time that will bring it out, and I don't really need God, which means I have a higher view of myself than of God. Now I have something to repent of. Now, ah, that's what it is. Now I have something to take to the Lord in prayer. Uh, I think I need to be fixing this Um, And I need to get busy working, doing something to make it better. Which means that I think that I bring about my own help. I bring about my own salvation. I bring about my own rescue. Now I have something to repent of. I just want to encourage you, if you're going to take the time to ponder that question... Sanctification happens with specificity. Pray that God would give you specific answers. What lies am I believing, Lord, when I choose to not cry out to the Lord in times of desperation? We also need to remember the protection and the provision and the goodness of God in the past. Look at Psalm 61, verse three. David says, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. So that Selah means, it's like saying, stop and think about it. It's a pause, which you would be encouraged to, as you're reading this psalm or singing this psalm, let's stop and think about what we just said. So try to understand this psalm and follow the emotions of it. Here, David starts out in the earlier verses Hear my cry, O God. Help me. Listen to my prayer. I'm out here. I'm drowning. And then all of a sudden what he does is he remembers in the panic, when he's in the riptide, he's in the panic. But you know what he does? He remembers times past. He remembers the goodness of God. He remembers the fact that he's been a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. And then he pauses. And he thinks. And he remembers that God is good. He doesn't stay in that panicky stage. Swimming, swimming, swimming. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know how to handle this. All of a sudden, the thing that speaks peace to him is the fact that he thinks back upon the goodness of God. He thinks back upon how God has been a very present help to him in time of danger. How many times was he persecuted by Saul where he was saved from that situation miraculously? He has much to look back upon to remember the goodness of God. So he starts out panicking. If you look at that in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, there's a little bit of a change of tone where he says, For you you have been my refuge, a strong tower against, against the enemy. Let me dwell... Let me dwell in your tent forever. You, you've heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. He's finally remembering that God is good. God is there. God has been there in the past. He'll be there for him now. David prays aloud and declares the truth that God has been a strong tower for him in the past. You know, it's one thing to say, I know God can do this because God can do anything. That, that, that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. I know God can do this because God can do anything. It's something else to say, I know God can do this because God has done this before. I know, Lord, you can do this because you've done this for me before. I've, I've experienced this. This is not unprecedented. This is how our experiences nurse or help our faith. Faith is a gift from God. No doubt God gives that to his people. But then as you walk with the Lord, as you read his word, as you spend time walking this life with the Lord, you realize, wow, this really is true. Wow, I have experienced that. I have seen that to be true in my own life. What I'm asking the Lord to do, it's not unprecedented. We look back upon the fact that God has helped us before. God has rescued us before. How many times has God served you or helped you before or given you strength and endurance when you just shouldn't have had it? How many times can you look back on your life and say that was a really low time when I was hopeless and helpless and without answers and without direction and for some reason I had peace that surpasses understanding that guarded my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you hear that question. You think, yeah, I can remember a time. I remember this time. I remember this season. You're right. God is good and has been good. He'll continue to be good. Some of you are staring at me blankly. Which can mean any any number of things. It could mean you haven't been walking with the Lord terribly long. You just don't have a story to relate to that. You don't have a a time in your life that you can think, God, really sustained me in a time of deep, deep, deep sorrow and desperation. So you don't have the thing that David says. You don't have the, God has been a tower for me. You say, He hasn't. I don't know that he's been a tower for me yet. Well, first of all, he's been a tower for you in Christ. He's been a protection for you in salvation. He's rescued you from the pit. He's given you the gift of salvation. He's given you grace. He's given you mercy. But here's something else. You may not have experiences, but you have the ability to read about the experiences of God's people for millennia. You can read about how God has done that for his people throughout redemptive history. You may not be able to call to your own mind a personal experience where God has done that for you. But you can read things like what we're reading today and say, this is my mighty God. This is how he serves us. This is how he shows he's for us. That's why there's a Selah after that portion. God would have us stop, pause, ponder, think about it, and be blessed instead of just reading on. Look at verse 5. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. That's why you should thank God for your Bible you can read about what that heritage is. If you don't fully understand it or grasp it, you have a record of God's faithfulness throughout the ages that you can reflect upon. If you're in a place in your life where you feel so desperate and you can't think back upon the goodness of God, you can open up your Bible and read about it and just discipline yourself to read about it and say, I don't feel like God is good right now or for me. I'm going to read this and soon be corrected and soon be helped. And soon be encouraged. How have you experienced God's provision in your life? His faithfulness in your life? What examples from scripture can you think of? Think of the times where you are sure of God's favor in your life. And let me ask you this. How can you make sure or do your best to make sure that you would not forget that? in your time of trouble. See, it's really helpful for me to stand on the shoreline with my kids and say, remember, here's what we do with the riptide. It's even more helpful if they can remember that when they're in the riptide. If they ever find themselves swept away, if they ever find themselves in distress. Super helpful to remember it on the, to talk about it in, on, on dry land. That's great. But I'm hoping and praying that we will remember that if we're ever caught in a rip current, what do we do? Don't swim straight back, swim parallel to the shore and then straight back. What step can you take in your life to remember the favorable times, the favorable seasons that you've experienced? Maybe you're in one right now, but you're gonna need to look back upon that one day when you start to function as an atheist, when you start to act as if you're all alone, when you start to feel overwhelmed what can you do to be like David in this psalm who looks back and says, you know what, you, 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 you have been a strong tower against my enemy. You have provided, you have protected. So we need to reject the lie that we can't cry out to God when we're overwhelmed. We need to remember the goodness of God. And finally, we need to resolve to praise God because we have assurance of his favor, not because of us, but because of Christ. Look at Psalm 61, verses 6 and following. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. Uh, that I'm not really sure what David's saying there, to be honest with you. There, there's certain, certain times where... David prays for himself in the third person and he could be praying that God would, uh, would, would prolong his life and that God would give him uh, many days of standing before the Lord, that he'd be enthroned forever before God, that he would receive steadfast love and faithfulness. Or he could be looking forward and thinking messianically, right? Prolong the life of the king. May this kingdom last forever. May you, Lord, rule forever. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. But in verse 8, he says, so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. So, I want you to follow the flow of this psalm. Look at verse 1, Psalm 61 and verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. He's being swept out to sea. The circumstances of his life are just overwhelming him. Here we have a, a battle torn man who is a king who's also lost his son, and the circumstances surrounding that beforehand weren't incredibly favorable. And now he just feels like he's at his wits' end. And he's saying, Hear my cry. Then look at verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. Do you see that? In the beginning, he's saying, Lord, please, I hope you hear me. I hope you can hear me. I hope you can hear me. Then just four verses later, how his heart has changed. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You're a listening God. Surely you'll hear me. I I know you hear me. I know I'm not too far away for you to hear me. You're God. And then in verse 8. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day and day after day. Do you see where he ends? He starts out, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I need you to hear me. In the middle, he says, I know you hear me. You've always heard me. You've always been so good. And then at the end, in verse 8, he says, so I'm ever going to sing praises to your name. I'm going to perform my vows day after day after day after day. I want you to see something in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as we close. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see that in verse 19. It says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Always yes. All, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Friends, I wish we had more time to spend in this particular portion of scripture, but I just brought you here to remind you And to show you that everything that God has promised. Every promise God has made to his people from the dawn of time. Is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in him. Not yes and no. But Jesus is that strong tower. Jesus is that very present help in time of trouble. Jesus is that refuge. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Friends, we remember and close out our time looking at this psalm. We resolve to praise God because we have assurance of his favor, not because God is just in a good mood and not because you're so wonderful, but because of Jesus Christ Because of Christ, the promises of God find their yes in him. God is keeping his promises by giving us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the promises of God are somehow fulfilled in Christ himself. And that is why we're established in him. The rock that is higher than we are. And God, the Holy Spirit, enables us to scale the rock. And having done that, we are grounded in him. And that's why Paul says, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We are grounded in Christ. What about you? As you reflect upon this. First thing you should ask is, or I should ask you is, have you been established in Christ? Have you been established in Christ? Are you Are you saved? Are you a believer? Have you been firmly rooted in Jesus Christ for salvation? If you haven't, you need to understand all the promises of God find their yes in him. So if you are not a believer, that promise is not for you. It applies not to you at all. But by believing in Christ, by coming to him for salvation, by looking to him and saying, I believe... I believe you are the son of the living God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. And I'm going to live a life that is as best as possible pleasing to you. Then that promise is yours. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. You've been established in Christ. And therefore, how does the seal and the gift of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee change the way you face times Of overwhelming trouble. I'll tell you what it does friends. When you're in that rip current. And you're being swept away. It's the hope of Christ. That helps us to turn to the left. Or the right. And remind us. That there's help right here. We feel far away because we're looking back at the shore. We feel far away because we're being swept away. We see safety over there. But it's the hope of Jesus Christ that reminds us that really the help isn't right there. The help is right over here. And if we come right over here, we'll be brought back to safety. Back to our place of peace. Back to being established in him. That's the hope of Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of Christians everywhere when we find ourselves overwhelmed, even as David did. Do you have that hope? Does that hope function in your life when you need it most? Being established in Christ helps us to reject the lie that we can't cry out to God during times of overwhelming trouble, helps us remember his goodness to us, his faithfulness to us, his provision for us, his protection of us. And helps us to resolve to walk with him for all of our days in times of trouble, in times of prosperity, and in times of adversity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in many, many different seasons of life right now. Some of us enjoying seasons of favor and prosperity. And some of us being overwhelmed right now, this very minute. And Lord, we ask you to help us to identify the lies that we're buying into if they keep us from speaking to you. We ask you to help us to not be forgetful children, but to remember your goodness to us as a good and wise and loving father. And Lord, help us to resolve to walk with you, to speak with you, to listen to you, to, as David says, perform our vows to you all of our days. Not to earn your favor but because we have it and long to commune with you. Rescue us, rescue us. May we not foolishly try to rescue ourselves from trouble when there's trouble so close in Christ, excuse me, where there's rescue so close in Christ from the troubles that we experience. Do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.